This is, this and next week are the biggest messages I think I could ever teach you guys. Um, Romans chapter 6, and we'll just start in verse 1. I want to talk to you about this, this concept of being free from sin's dominion. Um, and I'm going to try to help you understand what sin is, how much it really controls you, and how much you don't have to let it. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, if you have trouble with anger, if you have trouble with um, with um, laziness, if you have trouble with anything you know that is wrong to do, you, you just you just say things that you, you, you have trouble with your mouth, you have trouble with your eyes, what you watch, you have trouble with pornography. You, you, the world says, you know, once an addict, always an addict, but Jesus never said that. And we actually, we, we kind of, we worry about people because we say, oh, they'll never recover. And Jesus didn't die so that you would live in, a, in defeat all your life, okay? Um, there is something that happened when Jesus Christ severed the, the dominion of sin over you. He didn't take sin away from you. You still are tempted. But your, your ability to be free from the control of that temptation is revolutionary. So I need you to look in Romans chapter 6, and uh, we'll read verse 1 and 2. Read it with me aloud, will you? Just these first two verses. Ready? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Let's pray one more time. Father... Help me. I, I, there's no way, as I've studied and, and loved this passage, for me to put it in all the right words and to explain it like everybody's going to need. Only you can do that. So just no matter how much I stutter, stumble through, Lord, make something clear to everyone. Uh, because you, we're not supposed to continue in sin. Yeah, we will struggle with it. Yes, we will face temptation and give in. But we shouldn't live in it. And we should live in victory. And when we fall, we get up again. Not because we have the willpower or the strength, but because we have Jesus Christ. So bless as we open this book, open our hearts and our minds, and change our lives through this great truth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we're going to talk about reckoning, okay? It's a good Texan word. I'll explain more about it in a minute. But we've, we heard a question there Paul asked. He said, what are we going to do then? Are we going to continue in sin because grace is continuing? Grace continues to cover our sin. It seems to always make up for our uh, sinful nature. And the answer is no. God forbid. How shall we that are, and here's the phrase, that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now the truth is this. Very simple. You want to know the truth of the Bible? God's grace does not free us to sin. He didn't make it so that now you can sin without ramifications or without consequences. He freed us from sin. And that is absolutely revolutionary to the Christian. And uh, hopefully it will become revolutionary to you. Uh, so how do we get victory over uh, temptations and sinful lifestyles that we are used to? Maybe you're used to always just being angry. Maybe you're used to always being depressed. Maybe you're used to always just lying. I know people who I can't trust anything they say because they'll lie. They won't just be honest, and that, that's how they've always been. And they claim to be saved? Well, if they are saved, honestly, you can be free from that lifestyle that you've gotten used to. Right? All these people are struggling with their lifestyle. They're, they're transitioning, and they're trying all this stuff. They have no idea what they're doing. They are nailing the coffin. When God says, you know what, that sinful lifestyle or any sinful lifestyle, some guys go from relationship to relationship, bedroom to bedroom, and God says, stop it. And you say, I can't. Yes, you can. I don't know how anybody can be saved and continue in sin. I don't understand that, okay? Because either God will get you or sin will, and both of them will kill you. <laughs> so anyway, how do you get victory over it? Number one, I'm going to say you need to know some things. We learned this last week. This week, the Bible uses a word to reckon. Anybody know what reckon means? I mean, the Texans will go, well, I reckon... Uh, you ever hear those in the movies? Reckon's a good old word that we're going to see here in Romans chapter 6. And there's a third word we'll learn next week, and that's yield. And they work on the three areas of your life that are most important. It worked first on your mind, which was last week, and things you need to know. Then it works on your heart, things you need to believe. See, you're not saved with what you think. You're saved by what you believe in your heart. Amen. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch wanted to get baptized, and Philip said, only if you believe with all your 
heart, okay? So there's some things I need to reckon in my heart, and then I yield with my hands and my feet and my mouth, and that's the body to believe. They're all three of those things active, and you can defeat any temptation that comes at you. Will you be perfect? No. You'll, you'll, you'll never be perfect till the day you walk into heaven, but you'll live in victory. Every one of us have the threat of somebody breaking into our car or breaking into our house or upsetting us. We don't live in a perfect world that doesn't affect us, but it shouldn't ruin us. It shouldn't dominate us, okay? I mean, it rains on days you want it to be sunny. And for the Christian, it doesn't ruin your life. You just get through it. And a Christian who falls and messes up in sin, it doesn't ruin their life anymore. So let me talk to you about knowing some things. Remind you last week, and we'll start down verse 3 and go down to verse 10, and then we'll go through a couple of things. Know ye not. Circle the word know. That's our key word that we started off with last week. That so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, by the power of his glory, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. You should not walk and live the way you used to, verse 5. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, here's that word knowing, did you see it? Did you catch it? Circle that word knowing. That our old man, not your dad, your old man is you. That's the old you. That's who you've lived with all your life. And the Bible says, knowing this, knowing it, that our old man is right now crucified with Jesus. That this body of sin, you want to know where all your problems are? In you. It's in that body of yours. It's in that, uh, the, that head of yours. It's in that, uh, the hands and the feet. And the, the patterns that you live by, it says this body of sin one day might be what? Destroyed. You say, that's a terrible thing. That's a good thing because it's going to be replaced. Amen. <laughs> Is that good news? It says it's going to be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve, obey sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. That's going to be future forever, verse 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, folks, he dieth no more. There is no more continuing sacrifice. There is no need for his sacrifice. He did it all in one death. And it says he dieth no more. Uh, he dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Death can't catch him anymore. He is alive forevermore, verse 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in he liveth, he liveth unto God. So real quick, we're dead to sin. Now that's a concept that most people don't understand. I'm going to try to develop it a little bit more this morning, but we are in Christ now. I used to be in a state of sin. Uh, you know what it means to be hungry. That's in a state of empty belly, all right? You're a state of hunger. And then after you've eaten a big meal, you're not hungry anymore. You're in a different state. Well, I used to be in a, in a, in a condition where Temptation came along. I had no qualms about it. I would just give in to it. I would just say what I wanted to say. I would say it however I wanted, no matter what I hurt, whoever I hurt. I would just watch what I would want to watch. I would just do what I want to do. Now I'm in Christ, and that doesn't come so easy. All right? I'm in a different state now. We're in Christ now. Um, we are living a new life. These are all the things we've got to know. We, our old man is crucified. Some people, some people get the idea, well, I got saved so many years ago, but I went back into sin. All right, well, the Bible says your old man is continually still dead. All right? If you went back to sin, you can get back right back out. You just, I have 400 things I want to say, Tom. I am, I've got time for only 20. <laughs> when, when you're a Christian and you give in to sin, all right, it's not because sin has any power over you. It's because you miss it. And because you want to taste it and mess with it and, uh, and flirt with it and think nothing will happen. Well, I got news for you. Something will happen. Your sin will find you out. And God will not let you enjoy sin like you used to. He won't. Because you're his child. Any more than your kid. Your kid comes home after being at school. He's nine years old. And he learned a new word. And he says that at home. He's never going to say that at home again. I guarantee you. Amen. Because he's your 
boy or your daughter, amen? And God's the same way. You may pick up stuff from the world and the Lord will put stuff in your life and humble you and you go, okay, God, I learned my lesson, amen? Our old man is dead. He doesn't control you anymore, even though he still loves sin. I'm gonna talk about that. Our bodies, we've already, we read this, this is all we just read. Our bodies, thankfully, one day will be destroyed. It'll decay in that ground. Worms are going to eat it. Good riddance, amen? And it's going to be replaced by a body that cannot die, by a body that'll feel no pain, by a body that can, that can fly. I don't know how far we can go with that thing. I mean, whatever, whatever you imagine heaven to be, it's going to be better. And we've got a new body. And then dead people are free. Paul uses the example of somebody who's dead doesn't sin. You ever notice somebody in a, in a casket? They don't get angry anymore. They don't curse. They don't steal your wallet while you're walking past them. <laughs> so the same thing is true. If you're truly dead, dead people don't sin. All right? So there's a part of you that doesn't. We're going to talk about that. And we will live with Jesus forever. I don't know what you think heaven is, but Jesus is my heaven. I'm going to live with him. I get, I mean, I'm going to have anybody who's saved, I'm going to be with you, but I'm not going there to be with you, all right? You're a byproduct. You're, a, you're an extra, extra benefit, but I'm going to live with Jesus forever. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be also. I want you to be always with me. So we'll live with Jesus. The last point was sin and death has no more dominion. You know, a Christian can look death in the eye and go, I'm ready can get into the hospital, find out your terminal cancer, terminal disease, and the hospital, and the doctor looks at you and says, you got six months. And a Christian look at that doctor and go, praise God, because <laughs> death doesn't win on me anymore. When this body gets put in that grave, I'm already gone, amen. Absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord. You got to know those things. Paul says, know these things. Now, um, I'm not sure why that did that. <laughs> anyway, all of that is what Jesus did for us when he died and was buried and rose again. He gave us this gift that has been transferred to us. He's alive forevermore, and if I believe on him, I get to live forevermore. He died uh, to, to free all people from sin. I receive the ability to be free from the dominion of sin. And so when somebody gets baptized... And they go through a picture of death and burial and resurrection. They're not getting saved. They're telling the world, this is how my Savior saved me. And this is how I'm living from now on. The old me is dead. You're looking at a new me. Jesus Christ gave me a new life and I'm living it. And that is a picture, unfortunately I lost the other one there, um, of, of what Christ did for the believer. So you got to know that. Uh, I have to say this, I probably didn't make it really big uh, last week, but I've got to make sure you understand the bondage of sin and the bondage that sin puts people in. Uh, um, the first thing I want you to understand is sin is not just the things that we do that are wrong. All right? It is wrong for me to steal. And sometimes we think, well, that's sin. Yeah, but did you notice throughout this thing, it talks about sin as if sin has a power. Did you notice that? Sin has no more dominion over you. And the truth is, sin has a power over every one of us until we're saved. It is a power. It is, it is a reason why people can't stop lusting, why they can't stop lying, why they can't, they, they get, they put down the cigarette and they, they pick up something else and they do, they just can't stop sinning because that is a power in them. It's called our sin nature, like, a, like metal to a magnet. You can't break it. So sin enslaves us. You know, um, uh, people think that they're free, um, but uh, we're never free. Um, you, you may be free, honestly. Every one of us are free to drive 160 kilometers an hour on the highway. You're free to do that. You know that. But you're not free from the consequences. Okay? You hit a bit of water on that hydroplane, and you're gone. So you may be free to do what you, or you may think that you're free to do whatever you want. You can drink beer while you're driving. You can listen to whatever music while you're driving. But none of us are free from the disaster. And I had two friends die when I was in secondary school, my senior year. Two friends die with their girlfriend in the car. And 
stacks of beer in the car, driving high speed, and then whack, lost control, straight into a tree. About two weeks across from each other, they both died, a car accident on a Friday night with their girlfriends, and had two hard funerals there. And I guarantee you, neither one of those teenagers imagined they were going to die. They're just having a good time. Well, yeah, you can be free. You can do whatever you want. You cannot ever be free from the consequences. So there's bondage. You think, well, I'll just start smoking. Every one of you who started smoking at 19 or 15 or whatever, all of a sudden you found out you couldn't stop. Remember that? That nicotine is one of the hardest uh, uh, addictions to break, isn't it? And you never realized how hard it would be to put that cigarette down and never pick it up again. Some of you started drinking. You, you didn't realize how hard it would be to walk away from alcohol. It enslaves you. Sin must be paid for by those that sin. Every criminal, you don't normally charge someone else with the crime that somebody else did. Um, and uh, uh, you, you may not do all the sins that other people do, but you've got your own list that God keeps track of. And if you ever want to contest God and argue with God, he'll bring up the list. He'll say, yeah, let's look at how good you were. <laughs> and somebody's going to have to pay for it. And you'll pay for it in hell unless we accept Christ's free gift of salvation. When you see how much sin has a grip of your life, how much it has a grip of your thinking, and just from the moment you get up to the moment you go to sleep, and even the dreams while you sleep, if you don't realize how much sin has control of you, you'll never want to be free. But when you see it for what it is and how it is damning you and pulling you down, you might just cry out to Christ to save you. I did. So know the bondage of sin. Uh, and I know, I, I say this, most people don't know any of this because you're kept busy. Your phones are constantly going off with news reports and you're, you're in hours and hours of entertainment and your friends and uh, 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 Instagram posts. All that stuff's keeping you distracted from the reality of sin is damning you. And that's strange. It is, it's strange to me that most people don't ever consider that they're trapped. They're enslaved, even Christians. So know the bondage of sin. And now we can get to our next point. The second thing you got to do in order to live in victory is to reckon these truths to be true for you so let's go to um uh let's go back there romans chapter six and we pick up the first time it shows up here and it says in verse 11 likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto god through jesus christ our lord now there's there's about two hours worth of stuff just in that one truth. All of, uh, when we talk about um, reckoning, all right, jump on also verse, verse 14. He says, you need to reckon this because, verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Wow, I wish you under, under, underlined that. For ye are not under the law, but under that grace that saved you, Okay. So the first thing I want to say is, what does reckon mean? All right, when we talk about reckoning, we're talking about to understand. When it says reckon these things to be true, understand them, ponder them. And um, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the word long before computers ever came along, the, the word compute goes way back to a, a, a human calculator. Somebody who was given a, a, a line of, of uh, numbers and would add it up. When you start learning the Bible, take truth upon truth upon truth and add it up and come up with a number at the bottom or a truth at the bottom and go, that's me. That's what it means to reckon. Because the truth is, the, the reality is this, and I got to find my thought here. Data, information mean nothing until you can add it up and come up with a truth or a number or a reality. You come up with the conclusion that's in your bank account. I can look at a I can look at, um, uh, I'll come back to this, I can look at a spreadsheet and I can look at numbers and it says 2,000, 1,700, 3,100, and then I add it all up and down at the bottom I find out that's in my bank, that's not my bank account, don't worry, but I add all that, some of you are looking going, what? But down at the bottom of that thing and you realize, that's for me. Now don't get too close, I mean you're really looking at, it's just a spreadsheet, okay? But when you look at the truths of the Bible, you can learn information, 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 information. But until you reckon it, which means compute it, 
understand it, accept it as you. That's you now. When you do that, you're two-thirds of the way to living free. It changes you. Well, you're not just a hearer of the word. But all of a sudden, it hits you and you go, I am free. What does the Bible say? Jesus says, if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And when you go, well, that's information. No, no, no. Don't let it just be a verse. Reckon it to be you. You understand? So, add up the truth. We just went through nine or ten things that we, we've learned. And believe with all your heart that it applies to you. Um, let me get over here. When, when we talk about um, uh, reckoning, I have to explain that there are three parts of you. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll come back to Romans in a moment. 1 Thessalonians, just before Hebrews, are three small books, all T's. 1, 2 Timothy, Titus, uh, Timothy, and then Titus. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. See, some of these things you're not going to understand until you understand the Trinity. There are three parts to you. All right, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely, fully. And I pray, Paul says, I'm praying to God, your whole, what's the first part? Spirit and soul and body, all three parts of you, be preserved blameless under the coming of Jesus Christ. So you and I, we have three parts, if this will work. We have a body. We have a second part of us, that is our soul. And there's a third part of us, that is our spirit. All right? There's three parts of us. Now, when I'm looking at you, I do not see your soul. I don't see your spirit. I see your body. I see whether you, you know, shaved or whether you combed your hair and uh, all of those things, I, I see only the outer you. But beneath that skin is an invisible soul. It's the real you. It's your emotions. It's your heart. It's how you feel. That's the part of you that makes a decision to get up and go to church. Your body didn't get up. <laughs> you had to tell your body, get up, eat breakfast, get to church. That soul part of you is the choice maker. That's the part of you that makes the decisions. And there's this third part of here, and that's called your spirit. The spirit is what God sees. When God's looking at you, he's looking at your spirit. He doesn't care about your hair. He doesn't care about how high or how short you are. He doesn't care whether you have a lot of money in the bank. He doesn't care about the body. He cares about your spirit. So when God looks at you, he'll see a body, a soul, and he sees a spirit. Now, here's the truth. What if you're not saved? If you're not saved, God sees sin in your body. That's all he sees. He sees your body. It was your hand that took that, that money out of your mom's wallet. It was your eyes that looked at that wrong video. He sees what your body does, and he sees sin in you. Uh, and... Uh, the part of me that he wants to have a relationship is dead. There's a part of me that is very much alive. It's the old me that I call the old me. It's the outer me. But when he looks at my spirit, that spirit is dead. When, when God talks to me, it's like talking to a, your mobile phone, your cell phone. It's been left on and hadn't been charged up in two days. And you try to dial on it. You try to turn it on. It won't turn on because the battery's dead. And... God may be talking, and I can, I can read the Bible to somebody, and their spirit is dead. They just don't get it. So there are three parts to you. Now, when you get saved, what happens is this. The Holy Spirit moves inside you, and he regenerates you. He brings life into that spirit, and you become alive forevermore, okay? That's that part that's resurrected. And the body then, as far as God's concerned, becomes dead. Now, up until that point, your body was very much alive. It was, it was, it was the basis of what you, your, your body wanted to do and what your body wanted to eat and where you wanted to, to, to go and the sunshine you wanted to enjoy. It was all body, you, you, you on the outside. 
Now, as a Christian, it's there's another me. <laughs> and that spirit wants to serve God. Um, it's been born again. Your soul never gets born again. It is eternal. Your spirit gets born again. Uh, and God sees you as alive. That's my point. Um, and uh, the relationship that, that you have with your body is now legally broken. It's like a part of you just died and you can walk away from it. Now you're still in it. But that body doesn't control you anymore. The Holy Spirit does. Does that make sense? It's, it's like when somebody gets divorced, uh, you have to reckon yourself to be dead to that other person and go on and live a separate life. That other person's still alive, isn't he or she? And they may still torment you. All the past may come up, whatever. But legally, you are the, the relationship isn't broken. And our dependence and our need to give in to the body and to serve the body is no longer there. That dominion of the flesh has been broken. So, reckon yourself to be dead unto sin. Uh, it's like reckoning yourself to be married. It'd be terrible if I had somebody here that says, Pastor, I, I, I know I, I, this woman here is my wife, but it just doesn't feel right. I, I just kind of don't, I just, I, am I married? <laughs> reckon yourself to be married, bud. You are married, amen? You said I do, we're keeping you to it, amen? You, this reckoning, I mean, some people don't ever reckon that they're actually employed, so they don't get up early and don't get to work on time. And I know Christians who don't reckon themselves even to be saved. They just wonder, am I good enough? Don't ever ask that. You never were good enough and you never will be. You reckon that I am saved. I mean, every one of us ought to be Texans today and say, I reckon I'm saved. Amen. <laughs> Which means I believe with all my heart. You understand? So reckon yourself to be dead unto sin and alive. Okay, I got to give you this and I'll show you in a moment. And alive unto God. Now. A, a, see, this is the elephant in the room? Yeah. Uh, an elephant was back in the early 1900s. Uh, zookeepers were ruthless. They went around, they collected animals from all over the world, and they'd bring them to different zoos. And, and, and uh, this is not the one, but I want to show you a picture of an elephant that was captured in Africa, put in a plane, and brought to the Chicago Zoo. And, and he was kind of uh, very male or female, I don't know, uh, very aggressive. So they put that um, um, elephant in a small cage, 12 foot by 12 foot. And so people passed by and that, that elephant would mm, bang against the front of the cage, bang, and go forward, bang, and bang. Didn't want to be in that cage. Five years, they waited for that elephant finally calm down and finally just start, you know, being entertainment for the kids. After five years, they packaged that elephant up and took that elephant back to Africa, uh, dropped it down by a helicopter, released the sides, and then took off. And this, I'm just showing you the picture. That elephant was now as free as a bird. That elephant's able to do whatever you want. And you know what that elephant did? After five years being in that cage, went three steps forward and walked three steps back. And went three steps forward, even though there was no bars there. You understand what I'm saying? And that's why Christians to this day still go down to the pub. They're still looking at the stuff on, the, on, on their phone. They're still, they're still stuck in the prison of their sin and their old nature. When God said, that's dead, you're free. Can you imagine? Now, you can't reason with an elephant, but you can reason with a Christian, amen? You are free. Don't live in the prison of your past. Don't let whatever happened, whatever you did, whatever you feel like doing, don't let it be what you do. Be Jesus. Let Jesus be the reason you do anything now. So reckon yourself to be dead unto sin. Go back to Romans. See this other, the other side of this verse. Romans chapter 6. Verse 11. Likewise, and circle that word, I think there's no problem with marking in your Bible. It becomes yours, by the way, when you do that. <laughs> Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. You, you ought to just realize I'm no longer in that prison anymore. I'm dead to that prison. 
but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, here's a great, here's a great uh, thought. Uh, when I was growing up, we, we had these flowers all over Texas, and they're all over. I see very few of them here. That's called a sunflower. And you know what's unique about a sunflower? At night, they go like this. But in the morning when the sun comes out, maybe that's why they don't grow in Ireland. I don't know. <laughs> in the morning when the sun comes out every three weeks, it opens up and it points to the sun, and then it will follow the sun all day long. Isn't that amazing? I think God made some things of, of nature just to remind us about ourselves and go, I'm no longer attracted to sin. I'm attracted to the sun, S-O-N. Amen. I want to know the Holy Spirit, where he's saying, where he's leading. I want to be focused on him like a sunflower. That's alive unto God. I mean, we ought to, it ought to be, I ought to be turning people away from church. I'll never do it. But I ought to have so many people who just can't wait to get to church because they're yearning for God's word. They can't wait to be with God's people. They want to hear God's songs. They want to learn about God's heaven. They want God's truth. They are excited. They want God's help. They want to know God's will. That's alive unto God. And you make a choice. Tomorrow morning, you're going to fit everything I said today. <laughs> but I hope you're haunted and you get up in the morning and you will choose whether you open up your Bible and say, Lord, I want to be alive unto you today. And open up your Bible. Start reading a chapter, two chapters, three chapters while you're eating your cornflakes. And say, I choose to be alive unto God. That's what you've got to do. Let me give an example of uh, reckoning. <clears throat> uh, need to remember, we went to Spain. My son Joshua and Sarah were with us. This was yonkers years ago. And somehow we got talked into scuba diving. Yeah, just Josh and I. So uh, I, uh, we had four hours of intense lessons. And it's kind of cute. They put you in a swimming pool that's 12 feet deep. And I mean, you can't touch the bottom, okay? So they put this heavy uh, oxygen tank on you, put this respirator on you. You're in a wetsuit. You got goggles on. And when you get in the water, you just go all the way down to the bottom. And you know what you do? You panic. Because you think you're going to drown. And so for the first three hours, they're constantly telling you, just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. And you're like, <laughs> and you think you're going you're gonna to drown with the, uh, with the water. And so you're down under that water, and you're 12 feet under, and you're going, <laughs> and the bubbles are going out over there, and you're struggling. And you're just, and, and the instructor comes along, and he goes, you're doing great. You're going, I'm dying. <laughs> And then after, I don't know how long we were under the water, Joshua's there swimming around, and I'm, I'm panicking, you know. I'm trying. It's, it's very claustrophobic, and it's very hard to get your mind around the fact that you're not going to drown. We get out, and, he's, and, and the instructor says, now we're going to the ocean. So we get in this little dinghy that wasn't big enough for three people, and there's eight of us or whatever. We're going to where it's 60 feet deep, 20 meters. And it's kind of funny. I almost asked him to push me off because I was afraid. Because uh, you got this weight. And I knew I was just going to sink all the way to the bottom. All right? You're not going to swim with this 80 pounds of equipment on you. So anyway, you go backwards into the water and then you start sinking. And your heart's beating. And you're struggling to breathe. And then all of the instructions come back to you. Relax. Inhale. Exhale. The respirator will take care of you. And as we got down to the bottom, we could see the octopus. Octopi, I think is what they call them, <laughs> when there's a lot of them, and starfish moving on the bottom. And you see this world underwater, this realm. You forget that you're breathing underwater. You just go, wow, I'm reckoning. You understand what I'm saying? I'm reckoning. I'm okay. This respirator is keeping me alive. You understand? And as long as I'm worried, and as long as I'm panicking, as long as I'm worrying about the water and about being at the bottom of 60 feet of water, as long as I'm worried about that, I'm not enjoying it. But when I reckon it, it's okay. I believe that I'm going to be okay. This respirator is keeping me alive. I'm okay. And when you start believing that you're saved and that Christ has paid for every last sin, past, present, and future, and that he's in you, and he'll get you through every trial you go through. You keep reckoning all of those truths down to the bottom and go, that's me. All of a sudden, you'll smile. 
All of a sudden, every hymn comes alive. All of a sudden, every day is a gift from God. You realize, why am I not enjoying my Christian life? Why am I letting fear keep me out of the water? Amen. That's an example of reckoning. Now, let me look, go back to Romans. Look in Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul then says these most amazing words. He says, let not sin therefore reign. Where? Okay. Let it not reign therefore in your mortal body. <clears throat> that body is going to die. That you should obey it in the lust thereof. Um, uh, look in verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under law but under grace. Let me talk to you about dethroning all right one of the great truths of salvation um in 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 anybody's life you got three commanders uh, three bosses sin self and satan the devil doesn't have to give you a temptation you already are tempted it's just in you um uh, uh, sin just just maybe on a visual just something you see or whatever sin comes along and just ruins your life Anybody who's been married and they mess around with pornography, you know how fast that can ruin your life. Uh, anybody who has, uh, you know, uh, on, on the job, you've been working and you, you, you're used to just taking money out of the till, that'll ruin your life, won't it? Well, there's sin, there's yourself, and there's Satan always constantly pulling your, pulling your cords and pushing your buttons to ruin your life. But the Bible says this, the Lord Jesus Christ wants to be in that position. As long as I'm in charge of my life, I will fail. Amen? You say, well, I'm highly educated. We are a highly educated sinner. That doesn't make you any better than anybody else. As a matter of fact, most of the educated people are the ones that get us into wars, build atomic bombs. <laughs> Education doesn't always make for good people. So what you've got to do is you've got to bring the Lord Jesus Christ in the place where sin, self, and Satan used to be and knock them off the throne. Now, practically, what happened, Jesus already did that. And you've got to reckon that they're not on the throne anymore. This is absolutely fantastic. There is still sin in your body, in your flesh, in your old nature, but it has been dethroned. It's no longer in charge. You do not need to obey it anymore. Are you still tempted? Yeah, you're still tempted. You'll still give in to a rude reaction. You'll say something that's wrong. When you're on a diet, I don't care how saved you are, you still break the diet, don't you? <laughs> I mean, we still are tempted. It's because our body's still alive, but we don't obey. We don't choose to obey our body anymore if we're saved. As a matter of fact, God says, sin, self, and Satan himself do not have power over you. All you have to do is submit yourself to God, and what will the devil do? He will flee. I don't have any power over the devil. But when I get close to God and I submit myself to his will, I listen to his word, I do, I do what he wants, and I go, boo, the devil runs away. So I put the Lord Jesus Christ in charge of my life. I'm still tempted, but I am no longer enslaved. God says sin is powerless over me. It has no authority. So I'm to not let sin reign in my body. Don't obey its lust thereof. You don't have to obey it. You don't have to give in to it. You don't have to yield to it. The body's not important anymore. When, between, uh, when your body's, you know, uh, lonely, sad, depressed, upset, it does not have to be in charge. You know, some of you need to just be, be angry without sinning. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? Go, go, but, but what we do is we get angry and we just say stuff we regret. You do not need to let sin have control of your mouth. And when, when stuff comes up and triggers you, isn't that a modern term? Oh, she triggered me. <laughs> when stuff, you don't have to give in to that trigger. Uh, the body is not important anymore, not to God, not to you. Uh, so, don't let sin reign anymore. Accept the fact that grace now reigns in your life. Uh, you know, um, some countries, we're, we're really blessed. As much as we don't like our current leadership, 
We still live in a free country, and I wouldn't want to go back in time 100 years, would we? Um, I mean, tyrants used to run this world, and wasn't it wonderful when the tyrants were replaced? Remember that? Now, usually they're replaced by somebody not much better, but uh, think about it. Grace replaced the tyrant of expectations. God's kindness replaced the law. And the law showed that we were failures. Grace came along and made up for all of my failures. So all of the wrong of me, all of the triggers that Satan used to defeat me are now dethroned. They don't control me. Grace does. And when I accept that I'm dead to sin, that Jesus has made me new. Um, I, I, can, I can start living the victory. It is just absolutely, death cannot win. Sin cannot win unless you, unless you give in to it. I mean, any one of you can get on top of a 13-floor building, 13, and jump off, and you're all going to die, amen? So you can still do stupid things and bear the consequences for it. But no Christian would ever do that. Does that make sense? No Christian who's walking with God, who's walking in the Spirit, wants to end their life. There is a freedom that a Christian has that the whole world should want. Uh, don't let sin reign in you. To go back to verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let it continue to reign like it always has. The truth is, since sin is not reigning over you, you don't have to obey its pull or its pressure. You don't have to obey sin's whispers, its lusts, its demand on us anymore. Don't give sin permission to run your life. You actually can live in victory. You can turn away from sin, walk away from sin, walk away from the old friends, and do it with grace. Hopefully. You have a new Lord, don't you? That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Not just Jesus, but he's the new boss of my life. And I have to say this. I want you to understand you have um, you have incredible spiritual advanced weaponry against all the sins and temptations of this world. Um, do not let sin. Let me give you one more example, and then I'm done. If there's a criminal gang, a crime boss, running around West Cork here, you know, and they're just wreaking havoc. They're breaking into cars. They're breaking into houses. They, they come along to the shops. And they demand payment for security and all this stuff. Think about that going on in your neighborhood. That criminal gang, that crime boss, would cause fear and destruction. But, you know, if, if there were any real people, real uh, men in that, that neighborhood, we'd stand up to them, wouldn't we? We'd call the guard and expect them to do their job and not just let them run the streets, would we? And uh, when people rise up and government and the guard are, are adequately empowered, they can drive that crime boss and that crime gang into hiding, can't they? And then one day that crime boss gets caught and imprisoned and all the power they used to have is gone. And what we do, what we understand is Jesus Christ took the crime boss of all time and he has taken him off the throne of our life and says, now don't put him back there. <laughs> don't let him weasel his way back up there because that's not where he belongs. Jesus Christ belongs there. And so the testimony of every Christian in this room, including myself, is Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my boss. He's in charge of what I do on Monday as much as it is on what I do on Sunday. You understand? And I do not, I actually have advanced spiritual weaponry against any kind of lies or attacks or deception the devil ever throws at me. And it's, it's monumental. Go to 1 Peter and we're done. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. Right after Hebrews comes James and then First Peter 4, verse 1 and 2. I like this word. Your Bible's very advanced. <laughs> Look what he says. First Peter 4, 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for who? He didn't suffer for his own sins. He suffered for ours, didn't he? 
then as, as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, I mean, he literally physically suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. I like that. Take up arms. Likewise, with the same what? The same thinking that Jesus had. For he that has suffered in the flesh, hey, amen, hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of other men, but to the will of God. We have armory, weaponry. We have the Holy Spirit of God in us. We have the perfect word of God. We have everything we need to arm ourselves so that I no longer am a slave to any man or any demon or any culture or any whim that I may have for my old life. That weaponry makes me free. And that weaponry is a person, Jesus Christ. Don't let sin reign in you. This great truth leads to the final great act of freedom, and that is yielding. You'll see in, in um, Romans chapter 6 several times he says yield. Now yield. Now submit. And instead of, now nah, I'm ready to fight, the Lord says, well, we better first start off on submitting. And when we get all three of these things put in action in our life, You'll walk through the day and you'll find yourself not cursing. You'll walk through the day not looking. You'll be very protective of what you watch and what you look at. And you won't even be, you won't, you won't even notice stuff. It just, it just doesn't affect you like it because there's a part of you that's dead to sin. And there's a part of you that's alive to God. And you can be walking through a shopping mall. You can be going through a rainy day and praising God because the part of you that's now alive is alive unto God. Everyone still sins. It still does wrong things. God's son has it all covered. Hallelujah. You, there are no expectations for you to live up to the Christian life. The expectation is for you just to walk with God. If you walk in the spirit, you won't end up doing the, the lust of the flesh, man. God's got it all covered. We can live free from the control of sin in our thoughts, our emotions, our words, and our actions. Will you live 100% all the time? No. But man, you'll be different. You know, Paul lost his temper one time. Uh, and, and I can understand why, because they just smote him on the mouth, man. And then, whew, he came back and he says, God's going to smite you. <laughs> and then he humbled himself. We all have those times where we lose our cool or whatever, but we don't live that way anymore, do we? And if you want to move out of the old you and start living this new life that Christ gave you, that you remember when you first got saved, you thought you couldn't sin anymore. Remember that? And you were like, whoa, and then you sin. You went, oh, I've lost it. <laughs> no, you can live in that kind of freedom and that kind of simplicity because you know these things to be true. Christ finished it all, gave you a new life, and you reckon it, you accept it as for you. Do not look at Pastor Craig and go, well, that's working for you, Brother Ledbetter. No, no, no. It works for you. You need to reckon it. You need to be walking closer to God than I ever could. Every one of us can be free from the dominion of sin. It does not have the right to be in control of any Christian's life. Start learning. That's why you read your Bible every day because you're, you're, you're focusing on spiritual. And you start believing what you read, it'll change your life. And believe them to be true for you. Now, none of this is, 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 works for anybody who's not born again. All of this stuff about being free from sin and free from the past and free from just sneaking around on your phone, watching stuff you feel guilty of or maybe you used to feel guilty of. Freedom is only valid for sinful people who've been born again. Who cried out to Jesus Christ and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save a wretch like me. God says, done. And... Um, uh, uh, if you know these things, if you know these things, believe with all your heart, and then we'll learn next week about yielding to them because they'll change what you do with your hands and your feet. Let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. Everybody's head bowed, every eye closed. I can, and I, I race through some of this stuff because there's so much to talk about. I know that it's like too much stuff. And I feel for that. But I got to say some of these things to, to impress on your heart, dear Christian, that the devil has lied to you all your life, but especially since you've been saved, that 
It will remind you, you can't live it. You're just never going to be good enough. Devil's lied to you saying, don't even try. Just, just, just give up. Just go back to the old life. Do what comes natural. The devil will lie to you and lie to you. Let me tell you, you don't have to use great effort. You just need to know these things and then believe them. And just like me diving into the water, start breathing and enjoying the Christian life that God gave you. You, you are free. It's not that you just can be. You are free. You just need to realize the bars are gone like that elephant. Amen? The bars are gone. The, in, the, the bondage, the enslavement is broken. The devil does not have the right to tell you what to do. He's going to try. But you are free. And dear friend, if you're not saved, you don't even know what that word means. I just want to explain it to you. Jesus came to save. He didn't come to give religion. He didn't come to try and get you baptized or become a member of a church. He came to come into your soul, forgive you, wash away every sin, and give you his Holy Spirit and take you all the way to heaven. And you don't have to do anything to do that except ask. He paid for it. He wants you just to accept it and receive it. Will you do that? You can talk to him right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you can cry out to him and say, God, I've tried everything else. I'm just going to quit, and I'm just going to trust you. Would you please save me? I did that 43 years ago, never looked back, always gone forward, always wanted to be more like Jesus now. And there's anybody in this room that just, in their heart of hearts, just said, I'm going to trust Jesus Christ today. I'm going to ask him to save me, and I have right now. Would you put your hand up, put it down? I'm just going to pray for you. If you have asked Jesus Christ to save you, or if you're not sure, you want to talk to me afterwards, come talk, man. Your, your relationship with God's my priority. And I'd like to answer your questions so that you can trust him and walk out of here a free man, a free woman. So, Lord, we dedicate what we've learned today, and it's a lot. But it's true, and it's part of the big picture that whew, it's not what I have to do. I just got to believe it. You made it so simple a child could believe. A man nailed to a cross next to Jesus Christ could just believe and he was going into the kingdom with Jesus. He could do nothing. And every person in this room here who's been saved, can we just shout and go hallelujah? I never could do anything. I still can't do anything, but I can believe it. And forgive me where the devil comes along and convinces me to believe another lie when I can believe the truth. I am free and yeah, I'll mess up, but I'll get up again because I, my, my attention now is on the sun, S-O-N. I'm alive unto God, and I want to stay that way day in and day out for the rest of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.